This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you. Later on in today's episode, we will be speaking with journalist, author, international cat rescuer, and the founder of CatFest London, Britt Collins. And as always, if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or for any upcoming guests or guests we've already spoken with or for me personally, head on over to GwenCooper.com. That is my website. There's a page on that website dedicated to this podcast where you can leave comments and questions and I respond to all of them. You can also use the contact form and shoot me an email and let me know what you think. And actually, along those lines, I would love to know what you guys think about guests on the show. So, you know, for those of you who've been listening from the beginning, and I certainly hope any new listeners have gone back and and hit at least a couple of those earlier episodes, uh, we've kind of run the gamut on this show in terms of guests and and interviews that I've done. I started out doing interviews with readers, just regular people, with, with what I thought were some really touching and great cat stories and asking them to share those with us. I also have spoken with some people who are well-known cat people, well-known authors, uh, in the case of Mind Bialik, a a well-known television personality. And I'm wondering what you guys think. So, you know, I, I tend not to do the kind of interviews with experts where we get tips and tricks, because I feel like there are tons and tons of podcasts that do that. And I really try to focus on storytelling here on Curl Up With A Cat Tale. Uh, but having said that, I'm wondering what you guys think about speaking or hearing from just regular listeners uh, like you guys. I, I, <laughs> you know, but you know what I mean. People, just regular people who you may never have heard of listening to the show, as opposed to more well-known people like Dean and Nalakat or Simon Montgomery or, again, Mayan Bialik, who, who you do know. Um, I would just be curious to hear what you guys think and if you have any preference. And if you don't, that is certainly okay. Um, and you will have to excuse me if if I seem a little scattered today. You know, it is 90 degrees here. It is, I think, now officially the hottest day of the year so far. It's not even technically summer yet. As Lawrence always reminds me, summer does not begin with Memorial Day. It begins on June 20th. So technically, it is still spring. And and it is pretty hot, which would be okay, except that my cats, who, especially Fanny, so as far as Fanny is concerned, it literally cannot be hot enough. She is a an all-black cat, and she uh, she is here with me right now, actually, and hearing me say her name. Uh, but she is an all-black cat, and she loves to lie in the sun, and she especially loves to lie directly in the sun when it is really, really hot outside. And she will look for 
the the hottest room in the house that has sunlight coming in through a window, and that is where she will camp out until it is. She is so fiery to the touch that that you really could burn your hand touching her fur. She's got all this black fur, and it just absorbs the heat. And she goes for maximum sprawl. You know, she's just on her back and and stretched out so luxuriously. I always say that nobody makes napping look quite as good as as my girl Fanny does. Um, But of course, when I am here, like I am right now, for example, so I, as you know, record this podcast in my closet, which is dark, which Fanny does not like, but it is unair conditioned and therefore hot, which Fanny does like. And so Fanny right now is sprawled across my lap. And, uh, you know, so I I don't even remember the last time I wore fur. Uh, I, I think maybe as a little kid I had like some kind of a rabbit fur jacket um when I was in elementary school and and sort of didn't really know any better suffice it to say I I do not I I have not worn fur um probably <laughs> probably Ronald Reagan was president <laughs> the last time I donned a fur garment and yet I'm always reminded of, of what it must feel like to wear fur because right now I've got this this very hot black hat draped across my lap and I am so sweaty. And so there's just this sensation of like wet fur sticking to my legs. And if there were anything tempting to, you know, if I found anything tempting in the idea of wearing fur, I, I think I would be over it right now. Fortunately, that is not something that I have to, you know, talk myself out of. It, it has always been very upsetting to me. So, um, so yeah, no harm, no foul, but but I I think my brain might be melting a little bit from the heat right about now. And and it just really stinks that I have no air conditioning here in this closet where I record this podcast. And so for that reason, um and also because my conversation with Brit, you know, so Brit and I know each other pretty well and I've spoken at, at Catfest London a couple of times. And and some of you guys may have been to these kind of, uh, you know, I call it the cat circuit, but some of these cat circuit events like Catsbury Park, or of course, CatCon in LA. And I know that there are so many of these kinds of regional shows now for cats and cat lovers. Um, and, and I have spoken at a few of them. I've spoken at CatFest in London twice, and it's just always really great to see truly how international uh, the the love of cats and and the what's the word I'm looking for the excitement behind the idea of cat rescue really is and it's probably as good a time as any right now to uh, remind everyone who may not already know that June is of course the the start of kitten season as we like to say and and this is the the time of the year when stray and feral cats tend to have the most litters and produce the most kittens when you know when the weather is warm. And so, you know, yay, kittens and everybody loves kittens, but not really because shelters just get overrun and, and there are so many it, – it's very difficult to accommodate and to find homes for them all. And, of course, many, as we know, do not find homes. And so June is National Adopt a Cat Month. And what I would really love is to spend the rest of June telling amazing adoption stories. So if you think you have an amazing adoption story – that everybody else listening to this podcast would like to hear, I would like you to write to me with it, gwen at gwencooper.com, um, or just go to gwencooper.com and hit the contact form. That would probably be your best bet. 
and and send me that story briefly. You know, not too long, not crazy long. I I am in the middle of writing two different books, and so there there I have limited time for reading. Um, but definitely let me know your amazing story because we want to, of course, support shelters and the idea of adoption as much as we can. We we here at at Curl Up with a Cattail, we are staunchly adopt, don't shop. And if you are somebody who works with or volunteers with a shelter and you have either, you know, a, an amazing adoption story, either of a cat you have adopted from the shelter where you volunteer or just an amazing adoption story that happened at your shelter, I would definitely love to hear it. So head on over to GwenCooper.com, hit the contact form, and let me know about it. And before we head into the interview, today's interview and our conversation with Brit in the UK, Brit the Brit, she her name is Brit, and she is a Brit, and we are going to be talking with her in just a few moments. But first, I would like to give a shout out to some of my patrons on Patreon, uh, patrons at the $5 level or higher. And Patreon, once again, is a way for you guys to support my work and to help all of my work, including this podcast, remain 100% free of any corporate sponsorship or advertising. And you get some really fun and cool perks in exchange for your support on Patreon, including at the $5 level and higher, having me read your name once a month on my podcast. And so once again, if you are a supporter at the $5 level or higher and you didn't hear your name last week and you don't hear your name today, then you will hear it next week. It's it's a long enough list that I don't want to try people's patience or you know, diminish the importance of each individual supporter by just having one long list that, you know, kind of trails off and nobody listens to. So with no further ado, I would like to extend my sincere thanks and incredible gratitude to the following. And and once again, of course, if I mispronounce your name, please, by all means, head over to my website, hit the contact form. Please let me know that I've done so so that I do not do it again. And so today I would like to thank Anne Tetmeyer, Amy Norris, Eddie Green, Kathleen Winger, Catherine Birch, Susan Ann Cadlick, Teresa England, Patty, last name withheld, Allison Walls, Julie Garrett, Mary Della Cruz, Charles Brackney, Rosa Rocha, Michelle Zurichny, Jeffrey Lewis, Kaylee Quimby, Rebecca Lynn, Trisha Yost, and Elaine Harcourt. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything that you do to help keep the lights on around here and, and, and to keep me writing, to keep me writing books about cats for people who love cats. And we're going to take a break for just a little while, maybe about 30 seconds or so, and then we'll be back speaking with Britt Collins in the UK. So hang out, get comfortable, and stick around for more Curl Up With a Cattail. Thanks so much for sticking around. Today's guest is a UK-based journalist, author, rescuer, and global advocate for rescue cats. 
Her work has appeared in publications including The Guardian, The Observer, The Sunday Times, The Independent, Metro, Harper's Bazaar, and Condé Nast Traveler. Her book Strays, A Lost Cat, A Homeless Man, and Their Journey Across America was published in 2018, the same year she launched CatFest London, the UK's first boutique cat festival dedicated to helping cats in need. She's also active with the international organization Urham, which rescues cats and kittens in Morocco. And she has made many trips to Morocco to rescue cats and assess the situation firsthand. I'm incredibly happy that she's made time to be with us today. So please join me in welcoming Britt Collins. Hello, Britt. Hi, Gwen. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being on the podcast with us. Uh, so you are in the K- in the UK right now, correct? Yes, I'm in London. That's where I'm based mainly. Um, you know, you're back and forth between the UK and LA to a certain extent. Yes, yes. I mean, I lived in LA about four or five years ago, but I, I do like to go back and forth um, and also to kind of write stories as well. It's got to be a, quite a cultural moment, shift. Not, not at the moment, um, I haven't uh, I haven't been back to LA. Gosh, um, at least sort of a good uh, two years now. Uh, yeah, with, with COVID, and and you know, I was going to ask you about this. So, Catfest London was started in 2018. 2019 was the second year. Um, I know you were planning an event for 2020, and and I'm assuming that that kind of went sideways. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about Catfest, and then we can talk about uh, the effect that the COVID has had on the event. Well, um, I started Catfest basically. Well, I, like you, I'm, I'm cat mad. I'm animal mad, really, but cats especially. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not that crazy about cats. What are you talking about? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> um, well, I I started it because. It's something that I sort of had in the back of my mind for years. I always thought it would be lovely to have a festival with music and uh, with sort of like-minded people who loved animals and especially cats. And I thought uh, it would be a way to also rescue cats and to create awareness and also to promote veganism. I mean, I do have an agenda. (laughs) Don't we all? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so I thought, well, it was perfect timing with all the fuss over cats on social media and all the cat videos. And I thought, well, maybe I should do that festival. I had just gotten divorced. I came back from LA to London and I thought I should start that festival now. So I did. You know, there's uh, such a, I, I always hear this from people. Um, I mean, so many people have that experience of at, at some of the, the worst moments or even just the most important crossroads of our lives that cats, our individual cats, our love for cats is, is really one of the saving graces that pulls us through, you know, that the cats who we live with and, and the cats who we meet and work with. And so it makes complete sense to me that at that crossroads in your life, you would revive the idea of something like CatFest. Do you know what? I can't, I mean, right now with the pandemic, I can't imagine life without my cats. I mean, uh, it's the, they're, they are what has kept me sane. They definitely are what have, you know, they, they've kept Lawrence and me laughing as we have spent the last year with literally nobody else to interact with other than each other <laughs> and no place else to go. And just being here all the time. And, and the cats have definitely given us something outside of ourselves to focus on for sure. Oh no, absolutely. Um, and especially if you live alone as I do, you know, now, and, yeah. uh, um, and you're sort of socializing less and seeing friends less. And it's, I mean, they're, they're so funny. They're, they always do mad things. So I, yeah, I can't imagine. Nature's comedians. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, cats for me are like oxygen. I just can't imagine life without them. Well, so tell me a little bit about the event itself. So, so this was a way to pull together cat lovers and and music and and good food and good times and and just have a, a festival that that would help cats and also celebrate them. So, tell us a little bit about what Cat Fest looks like. What kind of event it is? Well, um, I mean, we have speakers, um, as you know. Um, you've You've spoken for both. Yes, I have. I'm, I'm pretending like I don't know anything about the event because I want you to paint a picture. But I, I have been fortunate enough to speak at, at two cat fests. That yeah, is true. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, we have speakers. Um, we have uh, an international art show. Um, and where do you hold the event? You know, what, what kind of setting is the event in? Well, in the, the first year, we were at the Ovo in East London, and although it was a lovely venue, it was really, <laughs> I think it was just too small for us. It was more of a music venue, and it didn't have a sort of enough of an outdoor space. Um, and the second year, we are, we were in Beckenham Place Mansion, which is actually David Bowie land. <laughs> yes. Um, it's a lovely old Georgian mansion in the middle of a South London park. And, and it's very romantic looking, you know, it's the kind of place when it's empty, you, you just imagine Jane Austen characters kind of sweeping out, out of the entrance and, and along the grounds. Well, that's what I love about it, but it, it's grand, but it's also got a sort of a, a little shabbiness about it, you know, and I, I love that. It's, um, but a lot of people use it for, it's a wedding venue, or it was, I mean, right now they haven't had many events, like everything sure. has been canceled, but uh yeah, and I love the sort of hilly park, and it is actually quite a beautiful space. Um, and, and so you have the like, like speakers and things inside, and then the tents on the grounds outside. And uh, and uh, we have an adoption lounge inside. Um, some of the cats uh, are UK rescues. Some of them uh, come from Morocco. Um, kittens that were literally pulled out of the trash. Um, we neuter them and... We sterilize them um, and we find them homes here. But unfortunately, you can only bring five at a time. So, well, and, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, and, and one thing about CatFest, I know, is, is that the money that you raise from the event, a significant portion of it, does go to, to fund the rescue efforts of Urham in Morocco. Yes, yes. And to transport the cats over. And um, I mean, we're still doing rescue work now, even without the festival. It's a lot harder. Sure. Well, t- um, so tell us a little bit about Urham and, and the situation with cats in Morocco. Well, Urham is started by Anne Heslop. She's a photojournalist um, and she's worked for NGOs for literally decades. She used to work with uh, children's charities, Save the Children and uh, various charities in India and Africa. And um, she decided to take a break for about six months and she became an accidental rescuer. She had a little house in Morocco and she thought, I'm, I'm just going to just do nothing but read. And just stepping outside of her door was just heartbreak after heartbreak. Uh, it's like a triage situation. There were just kittens starving and dying, you know. Right. And so she I, think, did- I think we would all become I, I think anybody listening to this right now would become a, a quote unquote accidental rescuer under the same circumstances. You know, she's, she's an animal lover, but it was just terrific. So she sure. basically shaped her life around that. Um, I mean, she kept taking kittens to the vet, trying to feed them. The, the trouble is um, it's the sort of culture in Morocco. It, it's not quite like America or the UK where most people have cats as companion animals. 
Um, I, I, there are some people, I mean, it's changing somewhat, but very slowly. Uh, they do have companion animals, but they don't, they don't understand about sterilization or, or they can't really afford it. Um, so when their pets, their cats and dogs have kittens or puppies, they just basically throw them in the dump. You know, I, I look, I always say that that human problems are animal problems and vice versa, which is why I firmly believe that when you help animals, you do help people too. And and certainly I think anybody who's worked in rescue, you know, whether it's international rescue or, or even here in the U.S. will tell you that wherever there there's poverty, there is is animal suffering and animal abuse. Um, okay, and and the one the one just breeds for a million reasons that you probably don't even need to have explained to you. The one just breeds the other. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, so what Anne is uh, doing is virtually sterilizing. She's offering free neutering uh, to people to sort of to solve the problem of the dumping. And is there cultural resistance? You know, once there's no cost involved, are there is there cultural resistance to the idea of neutering cats that, that it's somehow um, cruel or, or are they or is it really just a financial issue? It's really a financial issue, and it's just kind of ignorance, not really knowing that they have right. an option. Um, and uh, she works with a vet, a sympathetic vet, who basically gives her um, medicine and um, sterilizes cats at cost. Uh, he's actually part of the charity. Now, uh, I, I know that you... You work with with Anne and, and with this organization, and, and you have been to Morocco. You're, you don't just give money. You have actually been there on the ground. You have been a, a first-person part of these efforts. Uh, why don't you tell us about your, your first time visiting Morocco with her? Well, actually, I, ha- I haven't. I'm going to be going to Morocco this year. Ah. Anne goes constantly. But right. uh, In fact, um, last year we were in Portugal. She was going to go off to Morocco, and literally they shut the borders the day before she was supposed to go. So is she is is she in Morocco or is she still no, in Europe? So she's in the UK. She's kind of we're we're kind of stuck because uh, they're not really allowing travelers in Morocco at the moment. Um, so it must be very frustrating, I would imagine, really for her. She's actually managing it from the UK. Um, there are other people that she works with. There are volunteers who feed the cats. Basically, um, she organizes all the food. She organizes everything uh, via video and and, uh, and WhatsApp um, because she can't be there. And l- luckily, uh, there are fosterers like Zahara. She's um, she's a French woman who, in fact, she's got a lot of the catfest kittens that were supposed to come over last year um, and a few others. In fact, uh, the, as soon as we can go over there, which is hopefully in the next month, um, there are a few kittens that we are bringing over. One woman is taking three. She's taking Pirate, who has one eye. He lost his eye to flu. And uh, Lucky, a ginger cat who is blind. And um, uh, we, we have a soft spot for blind cats around here. Yeah, and a white cat um, who actually, Dolly, she, um, she's, she's got sort of a neurological issue with her legs. You know, she's a floppy cat. She's a wobbly uh, kitty. Yeah. So she's, uh, this one woman is taking all three of them. Um, oh God bless her. That's yeah, amazing. So, yeah. Um, so basically, I mean, we, we still offer adoptions, but they have to help us, uh, pay for the cost of bringing them over because we don't have kind of cat fest to sort of fund it, you know? Sure. So. What is, what does the name Erham mean by the way? 
Urhem means to take pity in Arabic. An, an appropriate name for the organization. And, and I think you have a story about one cat from this organization, it's specifically that, that you have rescued. Um, are you talking about Beauty? And, yes. Uh, oh, Beauty, the blind cat. Oh, yes. Uh, well, he was actually, he was the only sort of foreground cat we had. We had mostly adolescent kittens that we brought over from Morocco because by the time you get their shots and uh, uh, all the paperwork, they're, they end up being seven, eight months old, you know? Sure. Time um, goes. Time yeah. passes. But you have to obviously wait for the rabies shot uh, for a couple of months after they get it. And uh, it, yeah, it's a complicated process. So, um, but Beauty and Rescued Beauty and Beast, uh, they're lovely ginger and white um, cats who. Those are great names, by the way. <laughs> Those are great Beast. names. They were, they were feral kittens. Beast was, well, quite beastly. Um, he actually ran off uh, after she neutered them and. Beauty, of course, became quite affectionate. And my friends, Chris and Julia, uh, adopted Beauty. Then we went to, to Morocco, or Anne went to Morocco and got Shadow as companion. Um, so they have them. But, I mean, sadly, he didn't, he didn't get a lot of requests. It, it's quite, um, they, I mean, as you know, they only sort of go for certain cats. Everybody wants the tabbies and the gingers and... We had a few beautiful black cats. Again, they had very few requests for them, which was quite shocking. Um, yeah, but well, you know, th- this is something that is seen over and over again in, yeah. in rescue. You know, it's so funny for me as a New Yorker, because honestly, as a practical matter, if nothing else, I just have so much black in my wardrobe that if I if I were to think about it in terms of the color I'd want, I would always, I would take a black hat any day of the week and twice on Sunday is all I'm saying. No, no, so much- I've- so much easier when you're walking out the door, you know, you don't have to stop and do that. God damn it. There's furs all over me. I mean, there might be, but who could tell? It's quite funny. Um, years ago, I interviewed that supermodel, Natalia Vodanova, and uh, we were in some place posh, like the Dorchester. And as soon as I sat down, she said, uh, you have cats. <laughs> so I can tell you're a caliber. And I looked at my black uh, cashmere jumpers covered in cat hair. That's, oh, cashmere is uh, cashmere and cats is tough. <laughs> you definitely have to get out that the, the roller, you know, that that sticky roller thing before you. Yeah, I, get, I gave up on st- sticky rollers. But yeah, it always shocks me because I mean, all cats, all cats are beautiful, but black cats are particularly stunning. And yet they're like the least popular. Yeah, it's so I mean, weird. You know, I, it's, it's, I don't get it. I honestly, I, it's, it's really something I never thought of until I started writing Homer's Honesty. And that's when I started talking more with, with, you know, rescuers from all over the country. And, um, and, and it was surprising to me then. And, and it continues to be surprising to me that you we know, have the this last, issue with black cats. The last time I was in LA, I went to, I stayed with my friend, Rachel, who's a Londoner and now lives in LA. Um, she literally just rescued these adolescent kittens one uh, days before I came over and I helped name them. And she said when she called for them, the women cried over the phone because she had them for months. They were about 10 months old. Uh, all the other kittens went and she did not get a single phone call for them Aww. except for Rachel. So Rachel uh, rescued the two siblings, brother and sister. Um, but yeah, she did not get a single call in four or five months, you know. Well, it's uh, at least that story has a happy ending. And and speaking of happy endings, uh, for, for people who are listening, who want to help or Urham- and, and I will spell the name, the name Erham, by the way, spelled E-R-H-A-M, as in yeah. Mary, 
Erham. Um, so if you want to go online and, and look for more information, but Britt, if people want to find out more or if they want to make a donation of any size, even a couple of dollars helps if you have it to spare, uh, where can they go? Well, I mean, first of all, they could find Erham on Catfest. All the information is there. They could see the video and there's a, a film link that goes directly to their website. They, they're always um, raising money on GoFundMe, especially now that the festival is not happening. Sure. Um, so it, it's very easy to find them. Um, but yeah, you could find them via our website uh, on the charity page. And you could actually see the work that Anne does. I mean, you've seen the videos. It's yes. just horrendous. It, it, it's amazing work and, and really God, uh, God bless her for doing it. Um, I, I know we get a lot of, uh, there were people who sort of criticize it for bringing cats in from Morocco when there are cats here, but the difference is they don't have the infrastructure. They don't have all the shelters and the charities that we do. They don't have all the vets, you know, and you, you know, cats, cats are not citizens of countries. They, they are citizens well, of our hearts and our hearts have no borders. Well, this is it. This is, this is what we we're promoting. Uh, last cat first cats without borders. Uh, I mean, you have to kind of help the most desperate. I mean, they have literally nothing there. Look, I, any any life saved is a mitzvah, as uh, as as we would say. It, in, yeah, in it doesn't matter where they come from. You know, it's like with people. It doesn't matter what country you come from or what race you are. You know, if you need help, you need help. No, a life saved is a life saved. Absolutely. And and speaking of that, I'm going to use that as a way to segue into your book, Strays, uh, which tells an amazing story. Um, and, and I almost don't even want to set it up I, again. And I'm going to remind people of the title because I think the title uh, will give you some background for it. And the title is Strays, A Lost Cat, A Homeless Man and Their Journey Across America. Uh, tell us first, just give us a very brief summary of what the book is about. Well, I actually found the story when I was living in L.A. I was writing an article for The Guardian and uh, I saw this headline, Homeless Men travels 3,500 miles to take cat back home. And I thought it was just so intriguing. And the story just had everything, love, loss, adventure. It just had a bit of fairy dust about it. Because well, it so, in- so tell us from the beginning. So, so a homeless man finds a, a, a cat and, and I guess decides to, strikes up a relationship with this cat. And, and how did, I mean, you know, really take us back to the beginning. I'm sure you, obviously the, the whole story is in the book, by the way. Yes. Um, and, and, uh, <laughs> I definitely want people to read the book, but really take us back to the, to the beginning of this incredible story. So this homeless man, whose name is Michael King, and he encounters this cat one day. Yeah. Well, Michael King, he lives in Portland. He's depressed. He's an alcoholic. He lives in the streets. He lives in a UPS loading bay, basically. Um, And he's walking home to his, to the loading bay one evening. And he sees a cat cowering beneath a cafe table in the rain on a really busy street in Portland. And uh, he scoops her up, takes her back, and he, he spends his last $3 for food on her. It was usually sort of bedtime booze money, but he, he spent it on the cat. And in the morning, he's hoping she'll go back to wherever she came from. She also had an injured eye. So, so the cat, and I'm sorry. So the cat is already is already helping to save this man before anything. Before when they've immediately met, like the first thing that happens is the three dollars that he would have spent on booze. He's now spending on food for the cat. Yes, and uh, and so he goes, does his sort of usual um, busking, and uh, the cat. He 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 just kind of leaves her there, hoping that she'll kind of find her way back home. He comes back. She's waiting for him in the bush. 
and they become inseparable. Uh, he tries to find, he looks at all the lost cat posters all through Portland, but he doesn't see any for Mada. Her name is actually Mada, but he named her Tabor after the cafe where he found her. And uh, when when winter comes, it's just too cold. He usually migrates up and down the West Coast. So he goes to California for the winter and he decides to take a cat with him. And they live on the beach. Um, they 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 go through five states, four thousand miles. They get stuck in the desert. They he <laughs> so so they. I mean, they they've obviously they have bonded. I mean, they bonded pretty early on, and and now he feels this is his cat. This is his companion. And and I mean, did he talk at all about how during that time how his life did his life change? I mean, did he find himself drinking less? Did he find he himself did, drinking he more? Did, did he? He did drink less because he was terrified that. Uh, the cat would be taken away from him. So he would only drink at nighttime rather than all day long as he used to. So, so, so this is, this is a real life. This has become very quickly a life changing relationship between this homeless man and this homeless cat that he has found. Well, he, Michael had a really tragic life, basically, you know, he was an abused child. He started running away from home from the age of 12 and he finally left at the age of 15 and set himself up and, um, and then when he was finally happy, he had a partner, um, he was dying of AIDS and Michael looked after him and then he became depressed and just hit the road and found a sense of community in the street and stayed in the street. Um, and yeah, this cat made him happy. As he said, it gave, it gave him a purpose, a reason to get up in the morning. So, but, but it turned out that this cat actually had another family and, and how did Michael first find out about that? Well, um, Ron never really stopped looking for her. And when he went to visit his foster father in Montana. Um, well, I'm he, sorry. So, so, Ron, so Ron is, is Ron, Tabor, is, is Tabor's original, you know, original uh, person. Ron Buss is uh, Tabor's original owner, whose ex, whose real name is Mada. Okay. He only lived about eight blocks away from where Michael and um, Tabor were squatting. So, so the cat obviously somehow got out of the house, um, was found by Michael, who forged a relationship with the cat, gave her a name, and then took her 4,000 miles away. Well, this is it. Ron never stopped looking for her. But after the first three months, she was like gone. She was and, and meantime, right. And meantime, Tabor, the, the original owner, is, is desperately looking for this cat. Well, he's deeply depressed. I mean, he's going a bit crazy. He's talking to psychics, to cat whispers. I mean, to, to anyone, anyone who will help and listen. Um, he never gives hope. He just has a feeling that she's still alive. So, so how did Michael become aware of Ron? Well, he, he took the cat to the vet in Montana. And the vet obviously scanned her the first thing. And when he told him uh, that when Michael told the vet that he rescued her in the street, uh, the first thing he did was check for a microchip. And of course she had one. And so the vet called the microchip company who in turn got in touch with the owner and told them they found the cat. She's in Montana. Um, and Ron actually called Michael and he said he would come collect her straight away. And Michael asked if, if he could bring her back, if you could have one last trip with her. And, and so he, and, and how long was this journey, this last journey that, that he and, and Tabor, Tabor slash, I'm sorry, what, what was her name actually? Matahari. Matahari. So, so this last trip that Tabor slash Matahari and Michael are taking together, how long did that trip take? Well, the last trip took less than a week. Um, 
I mean, he, he really wanted to kind of extend it, but he just found it so sad and depressing. You know, he just wanted to get it over well, with. And, and so I was going to ask, so, you know, so he, so this cat is really the first significant relationship he has had since his partner died. And his partner, it sounds like, was was the first loving relationship he had ever. So, so this cat is one of only two or three loving relationships that this man has known. And he now suddenly finds out that, that she is somebody else's cat. Did he talk to you about how he felt in that moment when he found out? Did he ever consider just not bringing her back? Did, did he ever consider just you know what? He, he said I could have I could have been a, a real ass and I could have just gone to the West Coast and not given her back. But he said she has a right to go home. She deserves to go home. You know, it's her home. And uh, that is a beautiful way of thinking about it, by the way. Um, but you know, and, and he he and his partner had a uh, cat and dog. Um, he basically rehomed them a week before his partner died, knowing that he was going to hit the road. And uh, I mean, that's quite quite tragic. The cat um, he found the puppy under the dumpster because he was he used to be a chef. He worked in a restaurant, and he brought her home. And the cat uh, again, he rescued her in an abandoned car or something. Um, he called her uh, Mau Mau after the um, African rebels. <laughs> I quite love that name. Mama. That's a good, that's a good name actually. So, so he, tra- so he travels back to Montana uh, with Tabor slash Matahari. And, and you know, what was it like when he met Ron was Ron? I mean, Ron must've been, I, I'm just imagining, I can imagine myself in both positions. I can imagine myself the, you know, if it was one of my cats, I would be so frantic and heartbroken. And I really, I, I, I wouldn't feel like I would be able to enjoy my life until I knew where my cat was and if she was okay. But then there's the flip side. You you find this cat, you forge this relationship over months. The two of you fall in love with each other. And now suddenly, you know, both positions seem equally heartbreaking to me. Well, he, he was really heartbroken. Um, in fact, he was just so crestfallen when he was there. I mean, he went with a group of friends who wanted to support him, went to Ron's house. Ron was only expecting him and the cat, and there were about six or seven of them. Oh, so so that so that many people were with him as emotional support. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he had about five or six friends. Uh, there were three dogs and Tabor, the, the whole gang, just kind of invaded Ron's living room. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, did you speak with Ron? What were his thoughts when when this menagerie converged on his house? Well, I mean, first of all, he came an hour early then he said he was going to come because he, there was a lot of TV and radio press about the cat. I mean, the cat was on telly um, and he was afraid the TV trucks would be there. And of course they were. So he came an hour earlier than he told Ron. And how did the press find out about the story, by the way? Um, basically the vet told uh, the Montana, in fact, that's the first place I found it, even though it's syndicated across America. Sure. Um, he, the vet asked um, Walter, Michael's stepfather, if he could share the story because he wanted to basically stress the importance of microchipping. I mean, the fact that Ron got this cat back twice because she was microchipped. And so, so, he, so he basically did an interview with the Montana newspaper about the story and the story got picked up by everybody. <laughs> Now that makes sense. I, I mean, it's a compelling story. I'm wondering, you know, how Michael felt when he, so he arrives in the doorstep and this is the moment when he's going to have to, to say goodbye to this cat probably forever. And, you know, if he talked to you about 
how he felt in that moment. He felt devastated. I mean, he felt crushed when he took her to the vet and she had a microchip. And as soon as he went in, he had a bad feeling about it. Um, you know, on the one hand, obviously, it's nice that she's at home, but he had to prepare himself for losing her. Did it? But did he feel, you know, when this, I mean, I'm sure Ron must have been very, very happy to see Ron the cat was again. And he said for about, he said for about a split second, he thought, well, maybe I should give her to, uh, to him. You know, I mean, just literally, he said for a split second, he thought, no, no way, you know. <laughs> sure. And the, the, the joy of that moment. But I mean, yeah. was there any part of Michael who was happy vicariously to see that reunion? As, you know, as devastating as it is, you, you of course, love knowing that that a creature you love is loved by somebody else. You, you know, well, and- it, it wasn't it wasn't Ron that missed her. She had a brother. I mean, Ron had them since uh, he basically found them when they were dumped as two week old kittens. So he bottle fed them, you know, soon after they opened their eyes. And uh he basically rescued the five of them. Somebody dumped them under a neighbor's porch and Ron raised them all and homed the other three and kept the two remaining ones. And um, basically Michael, Ron said Michael was just so depressed. He barely engaged. He kept trying to sort of draw him into the conversation, but he just kind of sat there looking at her. Um, uh, I'm very upset for Michael as, as this is going on. So, so how is Michael doing these days? I, I have to ask if, if you have any, did he, he end up getting another cat or, or he, did he? He did. Um, so let me tell you about, uh, Ron, Ron, okay. wanted, Ron gave him a reward, uh, cause he had a reward out for her. So he gave him a few, few hundred dollars. Sure. And Michael went back with his friends and just threw all the $20 bills at them. He just didn't want to, you know, he was just so devastated. And he spent two weeks in the woods just crying about the cats. Understandably. Um, But, you know, but at the same time, you know, he knew it was the right thing. Uh, not only did she deserve to go home, but she had a brother who missed her, who waited for her on a porch. Every it's place. a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing that he did. And and I hope that at some point after he recovered from his initial devastation, that he found some joy in having done such a wonderful thing and, and being a part of such a miraculous he story, actually, because it is a miraculous story that, that, that the Ron and, and his cat were reunited. But he also visited her like every few months and she'd run up to him and, and then after he didn't, he didn't see her for a good sort of like um, year. And then she saw him, went up to him and then ran in the house. She just thought, I'm not going in another bloody road trip, you know? <laughs> Understandably. Her, her traveling days were behind her. Yeah, she um, was- so, so how is Michael doing these days? He's still doing the same thing, floating back and forth. Um, Walter keeps trying to persuade him to go back to Montana to give up his street life, but... He's got his little sort of posse of friends and um, he's, he's fine. I mean, he rescued uh, another kitten um, and he only, she didn't adapt very well to the road. And these women saw him sitting in the park and asked about the kitten. And uh, he said, do you want her? <laughs> and they took her. Uh, this woman already had three cats. So he also rescued a dog called Abbey Road, um, who now lives with Walter. I mean, he he was traveling with her for a while, but then he took her uh, when he was visiting Walter and left her there. So he certainly sounds like a a man who has a, a good heart where animals are concerned. I mean, that he uh, that he maybe is kinder to animals than he is to himself at times. Yeah, he absolutely is. Um, but, you know, 
he he went to rehab and he gave up drinking for about 18 months, but then he just, he started drinking again. I mean, as, as his foster father, Walter said, you know, some people, um, can never be sober. Um, and well, I it's, it's tough. I mean, with any addiction there, there yeah. always a very high relapse rate and, and some things are very difficult to overcome. I, I find it hopeful though, that when, when there's something important on the line that he is, he is able to, to pull himself together and, and I mean, not even just to do the responsible thing, but to do genuinely good things that I think are harder than what most of us have to do well, in our everyday lives. And you know, we deserve so, full credit for that. But this is what's so extraordinary that he managed to protect her for nearly a year in the wilderness, in the city. Um, I mean, <laughs> most people can barely do that, you know, look after themselves or their And then cat. he went through such, uh, you know, not just the physical difficulty of, of the return trip, but, but such heartbreak to do the right thing and, and to give her a better life and to reunite her with it, with another person who loved her. I, I really, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I'd like to think, I, I believe that I would do so, but I know how my heart would be breaking at that moment. And I, I really um, do give him full marks for how difficult that must have been. Do you know, a lot of readers said they wouldn't give her back. I mean, I, it's, you, you have to think about it. I mean, you have to, and you could even tell yourself, I would never have let her get out unprotected in the first place. I would be better for her. Uh, you know, there are all kinds of things that, that you can tell yourself that, will sound very believable in the moment where you don't want to give up something you love. But, you know, Michael said, you know, at the end of the day, she was not, not, not only that it was her home, but she was better off being at home because, sure. um, you know, there's so many threats, you know, he's, I mean, the fact that he managed to protect her from coyote. Oh my, I'm not suggesting that anybody whose cat gets out the front door deserves for somebody else to take their cat. Things, things happen, you know, it's, I mean, Homer was such an escape artist and, and for years that was always in. And one time he did, I was able to catch up with him, but it does happen. They, they get out and, and it's scary and it's terrifying. I'm just saying that it's the kind of rationalization. If you're looking for a pretext to do something that you know, isn't really the right thing to do, but it's what you want to do. Then that becomes, you know, a, 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 something you can rationalize to yourself. Do you know, um, she actually saved his life at one point. Um, he got so drunk one evening when they were in Yosemite um, he, and he fell asleep with the fire and his sleeping bag caught on fire. Oh, my God. And <laughs> he woke up. Um, Mata was yelling. Tabor was yelling because he kept her in a, a hard carrier. Right at night because they were surrounded by coyotes one evening when they were in California. And so he decided to get a hard carrier because he thought they would just eventually snatch her at some point. Um, And so he'd put her in the hard carrier and she was yelling and he woke up, his sleeping bag was on fire up to his knees. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, That really, that is, that is amazing. And uh, what, what in a long line of life-saving cats that, that we uh, love hearing about here on Curl for the Cat Tale. Britt, if people want to check out this book for themselves, and by the way, I, I heartily encourage you to do so. It's such a good read and it's such an amazing story. Um, where, where can they find it? Well, they could find it on Amazon. They could find it on um, um, IndieBound, uh, Waterstones. Uh, I mean, they could find it in bookshops. They could find it in libraries, but... They could find it all the usual outlets online. 
Now, you this book came out in 2019, 2018, rather. Um, but before COVID, you were you were still really actively touring and doing readings in, in various parts of the US and the UK. Do you have any events? I, I know we're still sort of all well, getting used to, you know, planning our lives post-quarantine, but do you have anything on the horizon? Well, this is the thing. I was supposed last year I was supposed to do talks in uh, Southern California libraries. <laughs> in Los Angeles and Santa Barbara and, um, and other places outside of LA. And of course, uh, in fact, I was supposed to go in April and then suddenly everything got canceled. Sure. So I mean, that, that was a bit of a shock. Right. Now I, I got you. Are, are you, are you going to try to, to revive this plan at some point or I, I guess everything is really. Impossible. I'd like to, I mean, I was talking to a few of the libraries that I'd like to maybe try to do it in September or October. I mean, assuming that, uh, the pen- pandemic will ease by then. But I mean, the situation in the UK is not great because we've got the Indian variant and, uh, you know, this this virus just keeps mutating. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you what what the future looks like for CatFest. If, if you have a CatFest plan for this summer, I'm guessing you do we, not at the moment. So, I mean, we tentatively had a date, but of course we canceled it pretty sort of quickly. I, I mean, you, you, the fact that we were, we only just got out of our third lockdown, literally about three weeks ago. So um, there, there are very few, I mean, Glastonbury's canceled like for the second year. Most of the music festivals are canceled. Some of them are sort of happening towards the end of the year. But, you know, I have a feeling that they'll end up being postponed. I just thought it's best just to kind of forget about this year and uh, concentrate next summer. On next year. Well, if for, for those of you listening, um, since you will probably not be able to, to catch Brit at a reading or at CatFest anytime in the immediate near future, I would encourage you in the meantime to check out Strays and, and read the story for yourself. It, it is just an amazing one. And Britt, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and for talking to us about all this. Oh, but one more thing. CatFest sure. is- Cat Fest is happening on the 16th of July next year. Same venue. They could see that on their website. Well, all right. Then definitely. And, and the website is catfestlondon.com. Um, so catfestlondon.com. And you could see the film of last, the previous year and, and all the information is there. Uh, perfect. I think there's even some, probably some footage of me floating around. Yes, and there uh, is footage of me floating around. <laughs> You're going to talk in the uh, cat film. Well, we we won't hold that against CatFest. Thank you. uh, Thank you so much for being on on the show and for taking time to speak with us. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to check us out again next week for an all new episode of Curl Up with a Cattail. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.